Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. My dad saw the Michigan dog man back in the 70s or 80s in the northern part of Michigan. I remember the first time he told me. I had never heard of it, but was just starting to get into the paranormal, cryptid universe, and I was shook. He said him and a few buddies were driving up North Michigan to their other buddy's house to go hunting. When they pulled over to take a quick bathroom break, if anyone knows Northern Michigan, you know how dense the forest can be. They all got out, and as they were doing their business, one of them started howling as a joke. Then they heard something howl back at them, very close. It happened again, and they all jumped in the car as fast as they could. As they were pulling back on the road, my dad said a dog-like creature wearing a tattered soldier uniform came from behind the brush and stood there. He said he couldn't believe what he was seeing, and it was as if time stood still for a few minutes. They continued driving away as fast as they could, which caused them to take a wrong turn and got lost. My dad said they had to sleep in the car that night so they could find their way back to their friend's house in daylight. I know my dad wouldn't make up the story. He said a few years later a bunch of sightings started coming out of the woodwork in northern Michigan as well. There's even a song about it. I'm curious, has anyone seen a dog man or any other cryptids in Michigan? Ever since I was a kid, I remember my grandma denouncing horror of any kind ghoulish Halloween masks, haunted houses, scary movies. I had attributed this aversion to her background and faith. She is Hispanic and a devout Catholic. She believes anything horror-related is wrong, evil, you name it. So imagine my shock and curiosity when my grandparents shared a bombshell. Back in 1974, my grandpa convinced my grandma to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This would be her first and last scary movie. The weekend after the movie, my grandpa, grandma, my then toddler age mother and my aunts and uncles decide that they will go horseback riding for the first time. Since everyone lived in Wisconsin, my family made the journey to a farm about two hours away. For the most part, everyone is in high spirits. Who can say no to a family adventure on a crisp autumn Wisconsin day? Despite the other's excitement, my grandma is worried. Since she doesn't care for horses, she chooses to stay behind on her own with my mother. When my family arrives at the farm, it is three o'clock. According to my grandma, she watched everyone get saddled up and then slowly ride off into the tangle of trees. The guide leading my family called out that the ride would last less than two hours, mentioning different trails, the need for breaks, things of that nature. My grandma figures everyone will be back by five o'clock. She waits with my mother in the car, playing games, reading storybooks, and trying to silence her bubbling anxiety. Needless to say, five o'clock comes and goes. No sign of my family. By this time, my mother has fallen asleep, which leaves my grandma with no way to distract herself from her worries. Finally, when six o'clock rolls around, she calls to a farmhand from her car window. No way is she leaving the safety of her vehicle. She demands to know why her family hasn't returned yet when five o'clock has long since passed. By now, darkness has begun bleeding into the Wisconsin sky. The farmhand assures her that everything is okay, 
and that extra paths are taken throughout the ride. He tells her that her family should return soon. Now keep in mind, this was well before cell phones were a thing. Also, a week before, she had seen her first scary movie, and it had scared the shit out of her. At this point, my poor grandma feels like she's living out a scene from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She tries to contain her worry and begins a hushed, fearful prayer. Until the flash of lightning that is soon followed by ear-splitting thunder. The noise wakes my mother who starts to cry. My grandma must now not only ponder the frightening question of where her family went, but she also has a stressed, howling two-year-old to deal with. It is now reaching seven o'clock. The storm is growing more ferocious by the second. My grandma has to pee and her bladder feels like it's going to explode. But between the roar of the storm and the images of crazed country maniacs plaguing her mind, she refuses to leave the vehicle. She plans in her head that if they aren't back by 7.30, she's going to leave and find the nearest gas station to phone for help. Again, no cell phones during these days. 7.30 comes. Her family hasn't come out from the woods. As she's scrambling around the car for the keys, she realizes my grandpa never gave them to her. The pound of a fist against her window shakes her from her whirlwind of panic. That panic amplifies by a million when she notices a sizable, brawny man peering in at her. He is wearing a jacket and the hood covers his head. My grandma says that by now, it felt like someone had pushed a button and sent the world into slow motion. Everything crawled by at a snail's pace. Why don't you and the little one come inside? The man yells. His words are authoritative and carry no hint of warmth. He isn't speaking from a place of concern. He's ordering my grandma into the farmhouse. All my grandma can do is shout, Where is my family? The man responds gruffly, We're looking for them. My grandma orders him to call the police. The next words the man said made my grandma literally piss her pants. We don't need the police. As he turns to go back into his house, he says, You and the baby can come inside whenever you're ready. My grandma starts to sob wholly convinced that her family has been brutally murdered and that she and her baby will be next. In the chaos of this moment, she hears someone calling her name. But because of the pitch-black darkness and her profound fear, she knows she must be hearing things. Then she hears her name again, this time even louder. Dora, help me. It's my grandpa's voice. When she realizes this, she puts my mom in the back seat grabs the wooden baseball bat my grandpa keeps under his seat, locks the doors, and then exits the car. Keep calling my name. I can't see you, she cries. After what feels like an eternity, she follows my grandpa's voice to his location. When she gets to him, she realizes my grandpa needed help because he is guiding my aunt across the high, rain-soaked grass. She hurt her ankle. They are both drenched from mud and rain and covered in scratches. The rest of my family is nowhere in sight. Before my grandma can assume the worst, she hears my uncle calling for my grandpa. One by one, everyone shuffles out of the wild woods and through the tall grass. Everyone is soaked in mud and injured in some capacity. Cuts, gashes, limping, unsteady. All are shaken as well. When they finally make it back to their vehicles, the sounds of running engines and the flood of headlights gets the attention of the man inside the farmhouse. 
The farmhouse door swings open and the brawny man comes to stand on the porch. With an amused chuckle, he drawls, Oh, you all made it out of there. My grandpa shouts, That dumb asshole left us out there and never came back. All the man says in response is, I'll have to talk to him about that. You all can come inside. His freakishly flippant and joking attitude sinks into his words. He knows damn well they aren't going into his house. My grandma begs my grandpa to leave it and get them out of here. With that, my family tears out of there as fast as humanly possible. Once my family was back home and safe, my grandpa explained what had happened. During the ride, the guide led them deep into the woods to a creek, where the horses stopped for a drink. As the horses rested, the guide told my family he had to go do something and would be back in 20 minutes. My family thought this was strange and my grandpa even anxiously joked, You're coming back, right? The guide simply gave a low chuckle and took off on his horse. Twenty minutes came and went, and the guide didn't return. My family continued to wait, as they had no idea where to go. They could see the sky blackening above them. They would have to make it out on their own. As my family rode off, they tried to remember the path back to the farm. They wandered aimlessly. Eventually, rain started to fall. Pulsing lightning and the crash of thunder spooked the horses. Everyone but my grandpa got thrown off their horses. When my grandpa climbed off his horse to help the others, his own horse galloped away as well. From there, it was a nightmare trying to navigate the woods while wounded and roaming through a thick void of darkness. The only advice I can give you is this. If you're going horseback riding, you better make sure it doesn't become a horseback ride from hell. So I grew up in rural South Georgia and lived with my parents and several siblings on a large farm. Most of my family grew up believing in paranormal activity, mostly due to our Native American heritage. My dad, on the other hand, was a staunch non-believer and would always discount our encounters as hogwash or overactive imaginations. My mom said for years that she would be woken during the night by disembodied voices. She said that it would sound like a room full of people, where you couldn't hear a single conversation, but could tell the overall mood of the room. The activity would heighten around pivotal times in her life death of her mom, brother. For years, my dad would laugh it off and say he's never heard a thing. Even after all the kids moved out. Fast forward several years later and my dad had been diagnosed with large and small cell lymphoma and went through chemo lost hair and lost significant weight. I stayed with him around Christmas of 2020 and I vividly remember him telling me that he is routinely wakened by the same voices that he had discounted for decades. He said that he would check the house to make sure that no TVS or radios were running elsewhere because the chatter was so loud. He ended up passing away from cancer in March of 2021. Looking back on it, I wonder if the voices were warning or welcoming him to his final outcome. So a while ago I went to my grandma's hometown in Mexico. She told me about not going to the creek at night, as there is some sort of water spirits that would steal children. I found this interesting and decided to investigate and that day when the sun was going down, I made my way to the creek. It was quite the long walk and isolated, 
but soon enough I started hearing drums and other types of instruments coming from that direction. The closer I got, the louder they got, and when I was a few yards away, it suddenly stopped, and I felt like I was being watched anyways. I made my way back home because I'm not dumb enough and had a terrible nightmare. It felt so real, and the only reason I snapped out of the dream was because my grandma heard me shout while sleeping and proceeded to cleanse me with an egg. It was a really weird experience and would like to find more info or similar experiences on this. I'll never forget the passing of my aunt around four years ago. It was a natural cause and she had always been a devout churchgoer. Her two daughters, both in their twenties at the time, were deeply affected by her departure. Coming from a Mexican background, our customs dictate that when someone passes away, we hold a novenario, which involves a series of prayers conducted over a nine-day period. On the ninth day, we bid farewell to our loved one and allow them to rest in peace. On that significant ninth day, my two cousins were lying in bed, still mourning the loss of their mother. According to them, my aunt appeared before them, comforting them and reassuring them not to worry about her. She told them she was going to a better place and that she was okay. She urged them not to mourn her because their grief was holding her back from moving on. This experience has taught me a valuable lesson. We should allow our loved ones to find peace in their passing and not cling to their memory in a way that prevents them from transitioning to the afterlife. It's a reminder that we will reunite with them one day, and until then, we should cherish their memories, celebrate their lives, and grant them the tranquility they deserve. Losing someone we love is undoubtedly painful, but understanding that they have embarked on a journey to a better place can bring solace and acceptance. Our beliefs, rituals, and traditions provide us with the strength and guidance to navigate the grieving process. And while it may be challenging to let go, we must trust in the natural order of things and allow our loved ones to find eternal peace. So, let us honor their memory, celebrate their life, and cherish the time we had together. Rest assured one day, we will be reunited, and until then, we can find comfort in knowing that they are watching over us from a place of serenity. When I first saw the Shadow Men, it would have been about eight years old. My family of five had just moved to a three-bedroom house around the time when my youngest brother was eight months old. I should mention that this house was in a well-populated neighborhood, not in the countryside. This house had a large basement that was split long ways into two sides. One side had a laundry room in the far back, a bathroom, a round mirror right outside of the bathroom on the opposing wall, and what we called the toy room right next to the stairs. The other side was the family den. The stairs to the basement separated these two sections. I hadn't been in that house for more than a week when I had first seen it. I was in the basement getting something, either a toy or a book, I don't recall. It was around late afternoon. The light was streaming in from the egress windows. At first, I thought it was my father but I quickly realized that this figure was not only a head taller than he was, but thinner too. It also didn't have a reflection. If I had to give an estimate now, I'd say it stood maybe six and a half feet tall. It wasn't thin like some depictions I've seen. The one I saw that day had the typical fleshed out proportions of a man, 
At this point, only a few seconds had passed. I just stood there staring at it. I had a pit in my stomach, and I knew even though I couldn't see its eyes, it saw me too. I cannot emphasize this enough. This wasn't a human. I was alone in that basement. The light coming from the windows didn't seem to cast any shadows onto it. There's no face, no clothes, and no indication of a three-dimensional form. The thing almost looked like it was a hole cut from the fabric of reality itself. The sense of dread and fear that filled me was something I'd only experienced while facing these creatures. I can't explain it, but something deep down told me that it was male. Something also told me that was evil. It said nothing. It just stood there. I took a step back and suddenly it charged at me, taking incredibly long strides. The way it moved made it contort. The legs especially looked like they were getting longer. It reached out to me. The hand was as big as my face. It was only three feet away from me. It moved at incredible speed. I started to scream and I ran up the stairs. I ran out of the basement so fast that I actually fell when I reached the main hallway. I told my parents. My father was skeptical and obviously looked, but found nothing. My mother said nothing about it. A few days after the encounter in the evening hours, my sister and I saw one sitting on the sectional couch in our living room while we were walking to the kitchen for a snack. It was sitting where my mother would sit in the corner of the sectional. His legs were long. The minute it noticed us, my younger sister saw it and screamed. It left the couch in one human-like motion and ran through the wall. My mother was in the kitchen and my father was at work. That very night I saw one at my baby brother's nursery window pressing his face on the glass. I knew this one wasn't a person either. My neighbor's backyard porch light was on so this one, much like the first, was completely black like a shadow. My dad went outside with the flashlight. My neighbor joined in the search because they thought it was a pervert trying to spy on us kids. Nothing was found, no footprints at the window no one fleeing the scene, and no prints on the glass pane. During the next three years, my sister and I would mention these continued sightings to our parents. Each time I was told it was nonsense and to stop terrorizing my siblings with ghost stories and lies. My younger sister mentioned her own sightings that I had never witnessed. I don't know the details. My mother eventually caved and admitted that she saw them too, primarily in the basement. She begged my sister and me to stop talking about them so my brother wouldn't be frightened. She even took us downstairs to pray over the space so that they'd maybe leave. Well, right around the time my brother learned to talk, he mentioned playing with the dude. The dude would play with him often, apparently when no one else would. He described it as a tall, dark figure, but this one is apparently neutral toward him. He mentioned him for years until he turned nine, then he stopped talking about the dude completely. My parents divorced when I was about 12 and my mother and her new husband had two more sons. The older of these two boys, M, was about four, he started talking about what he called the shadow man. The shadow man was neutral toward him. I'm now in my 20s and I've kept seeing them throughout my life. It's pretty infrequent now, admittedly. When I see them, there's still a great dread when they just drift into the walls without approaching me. I added a quick illustration to this email of the shadow that I saw the first time. It seemed to ooze pure evil. I hope this story helps someone out there realize they aren't alone.
Since then, I've come to terms with these experiences. So as a Marine, my first assignment took me to good old U.S. Ji Yongsen in Korea. It had a rich history, once serving as an Imperial Japanese Army base during a dark time when the Japanese were exerting their control over the Korean Peninsula. I recall seeing an Imperial chrysanthemum still adorning the 8th Army HQ, reminding us of its past. However, there was a lesser-known corner of the base where a peculiar building stood, possibly a storage facility for the hospital or something of the sort. This place had towering walls that seemed to guard its secrets, and it had been rumored to be a special hospital during the Japanese occupation. There were countless stories circulating among staff duty officers about encountering eerie phenomena while conducting their checks. As for me, I was assigned to overnight guard duty at the United Nations Command HQ in Yonsen. About three to four years prior, a fellow NCO approached the guard, requested his weapon, and tragically took his own life in the gazebo located at the back of the headquarters. So, the building itself was equipped with automatic front doors and surveillance cameras that monitored the area outside the entrance. On one particular night, around 2 a.m., my friend and I noticed a dark, shadowy figure ascending the ramp towards the entrance, and our initial thought was, probably the sergeant of the guard just great. I stepped out of the guard post to brief him while my buddy stayed inside, keeping an eye on the camera feed. To our surprise, both the inner and outer automatic doors opened, but there was no one there. I thought to myself, ah, the SOG must be playing tricks on us, so I quickly stepped outside the building to investigate, but there was no sign of anyone. Puzzled, I returned inside and asked my friend where the person had gone. He gave me a bewildered look and informed me that he had witnessed the figure entering the building. We discussed what had occurred and came to the chilling conclusion that it must have been the ghost of the NCO, making his phantom rounds as the SOG. From that point on, I adamantly refused to pull another night shift in that building. The unnerving experience had left an indelible mark on my psyche, and I deemed it best to avoid any further encounters with the supernatural within those walls. On the evening of July 7, 2007, I was patrolling a swampy area in Lauderdale County, Mississippi as a police officer. The moon cast an eerie glow, creating an atmosphere of mystery. As I drove, my headlights caught two red dots reflecting back at me. Intrigued, I approached the source and discovered an unusual creature. It resembled an alligator, but with distinct legs and arms that ended in thumbs. The creature stood upright, just like a human, walking with a peculiar gait. The sighting lasted for about 20 seconds before it vanished into the darkness under the thick tree canopy. There were no nearby houses, and this location wasn't far from where several alligators had been spotted earlier that week. It was impossible to mistake this creature for any other animal. I immediately reported the incident to my supervisor, who was taken aback by my account. In the morning, a request was made for a helicopter equipped with thermal imaging devices, but our search yielded no results. Speculation arose that the creature I witnessed might be the Lizard Man, a figure intertwined with the legend of the Mothman. One of the earliest reported sightings of the Lizard Man came from an oil rig worker in Scarberry, West Virginia. 
According to local residents, there are caves in the nearby swamps where bodies were allegedly experimented on during World War Roman II by Japanese scientists under Operation Paperclip. Some believe these experiments may have given rise to the existence of these lizard-like beings, but such claims remain speculative. There are other infamous cases, such as the Lizard Man of Scape or Swamp in South Carolina during the 1980s. A young man encountered a large humanoid lizard while dealing with car troubles by the roadside. The creature gave chase, leaving a lasting impression on the witness. Another account came from a hunter who claimed to have seen a seven-foot-tall lizard walking into the swamp, trying to make eye contact before disappearing into the water. This less-known encounter took place three years after the young man's incident, but the hunter's description matched the drawing of the creature made by the boy. Similar sightings of these creatures have been reported in various locations worldwide, including Central and South America, Africa, Australia, Japan, and China. Witnesses often describe them as bipedal reptiles with scales. Even Native American folklore tells tales of giant lizard-like monsters that prey on humans, particularly children. Some cultures revered lizard-like beings as gods, while others viewed them as savage man-eaters. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Or demonic entities. Sheriff Billy Soley of Lauderdale County acknowledged that they haven't found concrete evidence to prove or disprove the creature's existence. However, they remain open to investigation. Local residents and those near the area continue their search, hoping to uncover any evidence that might shed light on these sightings. In conclusion, I would like to emphasize that there are numerous first-hand reports and encounters with these creatures. We must handle this information with care ensuring it doesn't fall into the wrong hands or cause unnecessary panic. If you have any additional information or have had a personal encounter with this creature, please reach out to me via email. This happened to myself and a close friend, both 23-year-old males, just last month. We decided to go on a two-night backpacking or camping trip in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. We are both very comfortable with nature and spend a lot of time camping, hunting, fishing, etc. We hiked about five miles into a small lake and set up camp on a small beach. This was not a heavily trafficked area and we did not expect to run into anyone. Our first night there as we were sitting around the fire, we saw a flashlight moving on the other side of the lake around 10.30. 
This was fairly unusual, however, we did not think too much of it. But as time went on, this flashlight kept moving around the lake, getting closer to our campsite. We kept discussing who could possibly be wandering around the woods in the middle of the night, and we did not particularly want an unwelcomed guest. Once it was clear that the person or people were heading for our campsite, we moved off into the woods nearby to see who wandered up. I took a small axe with me, and he had a .22 rifle. Now we weren't expecting trouble, and we certainly didn't want to make any, but we figured we might as well cover our bases. Now the moment of truth, the flashlight comes near the light of our fire, and it is one man. He has a beard and is probably in his mid-forties. The scary part was he was carrying what turned out to be a pump-action shotgun. He walked around the campsite a few times and then proceeded to enter our tent. After rummaging around for a minute or so, he came out and started yelling, I know you're out there, why don't you come and say hello? My friend and I remained motionless under a hemlock tree about 50 yards away. That is when the man proceeded to fire his shotgun into the woods, not too far from where we were. He also swung his flashlight around several times. After what felt like hours, he grabbed my friend's backpack and a few articles of clothing we had drying off near the fire and threw them in to burn. My friend, who had trained the .22 at the man, asked me if he should shoot. I told him absolutely not, unless he spots us and starts to point the gun in our direction. Thankfully, the man moved off from where he had come after a little while. We waited until his flashlight was on the other side of the lake, ran out, grabbed everything we could fit in my pack, and took off it was now around 2 or 3 a.m. We ran out the trail with flashlights and made it back to my car as the sun was coming up. We immediately went to the police department and reported it, where we also spoke with some forest rangers. That was it. I haven't heard anything back from the police. It wasn't mysterious, however it creeped the hell out of both of us. This summer I was out in the dark canyon wilderness of Utah, after two weeks of driving and backpacking around the country alone. The plan was a seven-day trip, and after a few days of setbacks I was on my last night. By this time I was already a little scared of the dark, but that's just what happens when you are your only company for three weeks. Anyway, on the sixth day I found an awesome elk antler and put it on my shoulders about a mile into the day's hike. As anyone who has poorly packed a pack will attest just slapping 15 pounds on the top of your pack is a bad idea. About halfway through my planned death march my hip was getting sore and I blew through my water. I decided that I would stop early and get some water. Luckily I found a few puddles in a dreish river bed and made camp. I started boiling some water when it struck me. If there's skanky water here there may be good water upstream. So up I went upstream. Just as the canyon boxed out, a little spring filled the bed with deliciously cold, refreshing water. I drank on my hands and knees before realizing I didn't bring my water bottles. Whatever I hiked the half mile or so back to the camp and grabbed them. This is where it gets weird. On my trip back up, I kept feeling really vulnerable and uncomfortable. Every little rustle in the bushes set me off. I could hear birds calling in the distance that set me off. I kept looking for something following me. I can only describe my emotion as pure terror. 
It got to the point where I picked up a branch and the just-in-case a cougar tried to attack me. I still kept telling myself that it was just paranoia and I'm fine, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I finally got to the water and filled up my camelback and bottle, constantly looking over my shoulder. The feeling of unease was still with me when I headed back down the gulch. There I came upon a fresh mountain lion print placed directly between two that I made on the way up. It's one thing to think that your fears are unfounded paranoia. It's much, much worse to know they are true. The coastal town in Syria was no stranger to strife and chaos, but the unexplained disappearances that had gripped it lately were beyond anything we could have imagined. We were a Navy SEAL team, sent on a mission to investigate and, if possible, put an end to the sinister occurrences that had plagued the town. Our orders were simple yet cryptic. Gather information, find the source of the disappearances, and neutralize the threat. We had faced countless dangers in our line of work, but nothing could have prepared us for what awaited us beneath the waters of that forsaken place. As we approached the town under the cover of darkness, our senses were on high alert. The air was thick with tension, and the moon cast an eerie glow over the deserted streets. The locals were wary, their eyes filled with fear and distrust, but they offered no answers to our questions. Our investigation led us to a series of unusual events that all pointed to one place an underwater cave system near the coastal cliffs. The townsfolk whispered of a malevolent force that dwelled in the depths, but they spoke in hushed tones, too afraid to reveal the truth. We suited up in our diving gear, each of us carrying an array of specialized equipment, and ventured into the unknown. The entrance to the cave was hidden beneath the surface of the Inkai Black Waters, and as we descended into its depths, an unsettling feeling of dread settled over us. The cavernous interior of the cave was shrouded in darkness, illuminated only by the beams of our waterproof flashlights. The walls were slick with moisture, and the sound of our breathing echoed eerily through the tunnels. We pressed on, following a labyrinthine network of passages that seemed to stretch endlessly into the abyss. It wasn't long before we encountered something that defied all logic. The creature, if you could even call it that, was a monstrous entity that lurked in the shadows. It stood over six feet tall, its body covered with black fur that looked wet and matted, as if it had just emerged from the sea. The most unsettling aspect was its lack of forelegs, Instead, it possessed a pair of massive hind legs that seemed incredibly powerful. As we cautiously approached, the creature turned to face us, and its two piercing red eyes bore into our souls. It was as though it could see into the darkest corners of our minds, and the malevolence that emanated from it was palpable. Before we could react, the creature lunged at us with incredible speed and ferocity. Chaos erupted as we opened fire, our bullets finding their mark but the beast refused to go down without a fight. In the midst of the battle, we lost one of our own, a comrade who had fought alongside us through countless missions. In the end, it was a hail of bullets that brought the creature down. Its lifeless body lay before us, a grotesque and enigmatic enigma. We called our team leader to arrange for the extraction of the creature's carcass, hoping it might provide answers to the unending mysteries of this place. But when the extraction team arrived, they weren't government agents as we had expected. 
Instead, they belonged to an unknown agency, shrouded in secrecy. They took the creature's carcass without a word, leaving us with more questions than answers. We demanded an explanation, but the operatives remained silent. With a wave of their hands, they signaled for us to depart. As we boarded the waiting chopper, we couldn't shake the feeling that we had just stumbled upon something beyond our comprehension, something that lay hidden in the shadows of the world. The chopper lifted off, leaving the coastal town behind, and we were left with a lingering sense of confusion and unease. The creature we had encountered defied all logic, and the agency that had taken it away seemed equally enigmatic. Our mission had ended, but the mysteries of that coastal town and the secrets of the deep continued to haunt us. We were Navy SEALs, trained to face the worst of the worst, but this was a battle unlike any we had ever fought, and the questions that lingered would remain unanswered, locked away in the depths of the unknown. One particular incident from my life has remained etched in my memory, its peculiarities haunting me to this day. It happened during a hiking expedition through a vast and secluded timber plantation. Accompanied by a guide and a few friends, we ventured deep into the wilderness, far from any signs of civilization. We had been trekking for several hours, planning to take a well-deserved break, when something caught our attention in the distance. It was an old car, parked approximately 100 yards ahead of us. Given the remote location, my initial assumption was that the car had been abandoned, so I paid little heed to it. However, as we approached, the details became clearer. Inside the vehicle, I spotted a weathered man, around 60 years old, occupying the driver's seat. Beside him sat a young boy, his face etched with fear. Both of them fixed their gaze upon us, their eyes filled with intensity. My instinctive urge was to approach them and inquire if they needed any assistance. However, before I could act upon it, our guide silently altered our course, veering away from the scene and hastening our pace. Strangely enough, none of us mentioned the incident afterward. It's as if a silent agreement had been forged to keep it buried within our collective memories. Nevertheless, the enigma persists, and the mere thought of why that man and the boy were in the heart of the woods, with the car turned off and windows sealed, watching us so intently sends chills down my spine. I talked to an old hippie pot farmer who lives in the vicinity of Takoma in extreme southern Oregon south of Grants Pass. He stated that it was common knowledge among his cohorts that there were many Bigfoot in the Red Butts, and that they tended to be territorial and aggressive. He said that to enter the Red Butts was to risk confrontation with these creatures. You have to hike a long ways to enter this area. It's an area of deep valleys and high, forested ridges and butts. Another report from the same general area concerns two forestry workers who had driven up a very remote road near the headwaters of the Smith River, which flows south into California to join the Klamath. They had pulled over and walked to the edge of an embankment. Looking down into the creek below, they saw a large group of big feet pulling salmon from the creek. They were noticed and two large males started up the embankment. They jumped into their truck and as they sped away saw the two males come over the embankment and onto the road. Also heard that of a couple of fellows in Grants Pass who used to hunt illegally using salt licks. 
They stated that on several occasions they found large Bigfoot tracks around the licks and found that large chunks had been bitten out of the salt lick. Several years ago, shortly after I'd gotten into long-distance cycling, I decided to ride from Seattle out to Iron Horse Park for an overnight camping trip. I'm poodling along the gravel path through forest on a day unusually damp, gray and rainy for August, and get the creepiest, most unsettling feeling. I pick up my pace, looking carefully around at the impenetrable Pacific Northwest forest on either side, convinced I'm being stalked. If you've ever experienced these endless, dark forests of Douglas fir, Sitka spruce, ferns and moss, you know how dark, damp, and unsettling they can be. Luckily, the feeling passed after a bit, and I finished the rest of the adventure without issue. Got back that weekend and decided to look up via Google Maps just how deep in the woods I was when I got that horrible feeling, and discovered to my embarrassment it was a thin band of trees on either side of the trail, just deep enough to block my views of massive cow pastures on either side. Last year around this time, June 28th, 2021, my friend, we will call her Dana, my other friend, calling him Jana, and I all went on a camping trip. It was deep in the woods in Alberta, Canada. The trip was going good. It was in the middle of nowhere. No cell service, no bars, nothing. But we pained, listened to music and all that jazz. One day, Dana and Jana were both sleeping in the tent. It was 2 p.m. and I was sitting alone outside. I start hearing this screaming. John, John, help me. John, where are you? And that repeated four times, the same way, same spacing. I'm not going to die in the woods, so I didn't check it out. I stayed where I sat. When the other two got up, I explained what I heard. Me and Dana went to the river that was close by, leaving Jana alone at the tent. We came back 40 minutes later and Jana is sitting his pants. He explained that he heard the exact same thing as me, including how the pauses where I explained the pauses when I told them both about the screaming a few months later me and Jana went back there, but the two of us. On the last day, me and Jana had this gut feeling that we were going to die if we stayed the last night. It was one of the gut feelings that you trust, and I know it wasn't anxiety, this feeling was literal terror, and we're going back there with Dana in a few days. First of all, let me start off by saying this is not a joke. This is a genuine sighting report. It was half past two in the morning, and it was completely silent. I was in the bathroom cleaning my teeth, getting ready for bed, when suddenly I heard the letterbox lift up and violently slam, as though someone had purposely done this to get my attention. Usually, when it is very windy, the letterbox will bang and clutter, but never this loud. Besides, it was completely calm outside with no wind at all, so I found it rather strange and quite perplexing that it had slammed like that. I quickly finished off and rinsed my mouth, placed my toothbrush down on the side, and then quickly went downstairs to look out the hallway window and see if there was anyone outside mucking around at this ungodly hour of the morning. At first, I couldn't see anything, but when I looked along the hedgerow, I saw what I first thought was someone large hunched over on the path. I moved the net curtain to get a better look, 
and it moved slightly, becoming more visible within the streetlight and moonlight combined. Now this is going to sound really farcical and strange, but I could now clearly see that it was not a human. It looked just like a werewolf and had a long snout like it was straight out of a Hollywood horror movie which sent chills rushing through my spine. It turned its head and looked at me the light causing its eyes to shine reflecting some light. It was good that I had previously been to the bathroom before seeing this creature, or I would have needed a clean set of underpants. I bravely banged on the window pane and it darted away hunched over. After it ran down the road setting off many security lights in the process, I promptly retreated away from the window letting go of the net curtain still in complete shock. I bucked up the courage to walk down the stairs and check the front door just to make sure it was still locked and secured which fortunately, it still was. I then swiftly went back upstairs and went straight into my bedroom where I sat down on the bed still in disbelief at what I had witnessed. It scared me because it's not something you typically see. Had this werewolf creature seemingly slammed the letterbox to get my attention so that I would look out the window and see it and be terrified which I actually was. After studying ufology and cryptid creatures for over two decades now, I can confidently state that they are just a generated construct within our reality. Yes, it is a real physical werewolf that is dangerous and could tear anyone limb from limb who was unfortunate enough to be outside and unwittingly run into this deadly savage beast. But it is a generated construct that has been placed there purposely by an unseen intelligence to cause fear and stifle my research by putting the frighteners on me. This is possible because we are living in a quantum simulation, and therefore anything generated can be real to us. I have come to this conclusion because I have witnessed this phenomenon firsthand changing shape and form on many separate occasions. I have seen a Mothman and a Goatman and I have photographed a hideous merman creature at Hope's Nose, Torquay. I've also seen a man with a lizard's head and many other strange anomalous things that people would find farcical and hard to believe. We are definitely living in a simulated reality controlled by invisible outside forces whose agenda is totally unknown to us, and these generated cryptid creatures can become a reality within our world at any time and seemingly at any place. This encounter took place at 2.30 in the early hours of the morning on the 1st of June, 2023 at Newton Abbott, Devon, England. All the best. Not a sighting, but hearing two very unusual howls in the woods behind my property October 1st, shortly after midnight full moon too. So it was almost like your classical horror movie script. I live in the town of New Portland, Maine. Lived in the Maine woods all my life, and I am very familiar with the sounds of local wildlife. It certainly weren't coyotes, as I hear them mostly every night. Not Bigfoot-like sounds either as I looked up on the internet. Two short howls about 20 seconds apart from each other, canine in nature, but deeper and louder big lungs. Hard to determine the proximity, could have been as far away as a half a mile from my property but it sounded nearby nonetheless and I had a strong gut reaction to better go inside, while I have never felt threatened by any wildlife sounds before. Just reporting this as backup in case there would be reports of sightings in this area. I also like to report a possible sighting that a friend told me. In August of 2016 early evening he got chased out of a farm in Lexington, Maine, which is not too far from here. 
He is an avid hunter, and he described it as something way bigger than a bear or a moose. He was alerted by his two Rottweilers in the back of his truck going in full panic mode when he saw something huge standing on two legs next behind a tree 20 ft away in his rear view mirror. It then leapt on all fours toward his truck. He started the truck and bolted out of there, seeing the thing chase him in the mirror for a short while. Don't think he reported it as he still can't really accept what he saw and he doesn't like talking about it. I did not know about Dogman back then when he told me. Just started researching after I heard the unusual howls I heard a couple of days ago. I hope this is useful to you. My experience was not a visual encounter, but hearing unusual howls, unusual enough to start searching the internet. I listened to the audios on the link you sent me. Honestly, what I heard was not alike any of those, although it came closest to the third audio, which sounded more like coyote to me. What I heard was the howl being shorter in duration, but deeper and louder. Exactly this aspect suggests that it was bigger than a coyote, wolf, or dog. That and a gut feeling being very, very uncomfortable and feeling I need to go inside quickly. Like I said, I hear the coyotes almost every night around here. That howl was one time only, have not heard it since, and I am glad of that. The sighting in Lexington 2016 was by a friend of mine. He told me once, just after it happened, but still can't come to terms with what he saw, and he'd rather not talk about it. I had never heard of Dogman back then. It wasn't until I started researching your site and other material two weeks ago that I connected the dots and realized that was probably what he had seen and what I might have heard. Altogether, I thought I report it as a confirmation in case of other reports in this area. When I think back to my high school days, a peculiar memory always comes to mind. It was a long time ago, but the events remain vivid in my mind, as if they happened just yesterday. One gloomy afternoon, my buddies and I received news of our friend's grandmother's passing. They lived in a secluded area, far from the bustling city and surrounded by nature's embrace. It was a place where the wind whispered secrets and shadows danced in the moonlight. A week after the funeral, seeking solace and distraction, we decided to go fishing. As we cast our lines into the calm waters, laughter mingled with the gentle ripples of the lake. Little did we know that an eerie surprise awaited us upon our return. As we approached my friend's grandmother's house, our eyes widened with disbelief. The lights inside were inexplicably switched on. A chill crept up my spine and a sense of unease settled in the air. My friend confessed that this had been happening ever since his grandmother's passing. With a sense of duty mixed with trepidation, we entered the house and promptly turned off the lights. We decided to distract ourselves and headed out to grab a bite to eat. An hour passed, and as we returned, our hearts sank at the sight before us the lights were on once again. Baffled and intrigued, we flicked the switches back to darkness, our minds spinning with possibilities. Could it be a faulty electrical system, or perhaps an unexplained quirk of the house? Determined to uncover the truth, we ventured into every nook and cranny, clutching a gun for a false sense of security. But our search yielded no results. There was no trace of anyone within those walls.